Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Thursday, August the 12th, and this next hour we study the inspired and true Word of God and see how the author of the to the Hebrews connects, connects the dots of the Old Testament to Jesus in chapter 4. We often will hear of this passage in verse 12, this chapter in verse 12, where we will hear that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. But in this foundational document that we see in uh, for Lutherans, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, written by Melanchthon in the 16th century, he uses this chapter to remind us of the certainty of the forgiveness on account of Christ. And I love reading this, and I love the connections that's there, because he says that we are able to approach God with confidence, but not by our own merits, but by the merits of Christ our High Priest. This is why Hebrews is so much fun, so many connections, so much grace, so much of Jesus, and we know that the gifts are ready, ready for you. By the way, I didn't introduce myself. I'm your host, Brady Finner, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's word, we welcome back Reverend Dr. Brian Ketchmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Pastor Ketchmeyer, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Hey, it's great to be here to meditate upon God's wondrous word. So, Pastor, what's happening for you, your family, and the work of the saints in Los Alamos? <laughs> funny, funny that you might ask that. <laughs> We, okay. <laughs> we we got COVID in our household, so I have uh, mm. three kids with COVID, so that's what we're doing right now. We're uh, taking care of our kids. Uh, God is merciful and gracious. Uh, he's the one who heals us, uh, and the healings that we receive in body and soul, of course, point to the great healing of the bodily resurrection in the life to come. Um, so that's, uh, that's what we're doing in our household as a vocation as a uh, father and a husband, uh, uh, vocation as a pastor, uh, we we continue to uh, proclaim uh, the good news of Christ crucified here in Los Alamos and uh, on the internet. So, Pastor, tell how how are your kids doing? That's that's the next question. Well, uh, two of them. Well, one one is actually uh, uh, my son and his uh, fiance, so a uh, soon to be kid, I, I oh, suppose okay. you should say. Uh, but we treat her as our daughter already, anyway. Uh, both of them have have had it and they're getting over it. Uh, very mild symptoms. Uh, my my youngest daughter now was uh, tested positive today for it. Uh, she has no symptoms, so mm. uh, thankfully this is probably the Delta virus that is not as uh, harsh as the other variants that before. I should say Delta variant. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Well, a reminder to our listeners. I, and one of the one of the reasons I ask questions of what's going on. This is a call to prayer um, to pray for our guests uh, for their churches. Uh, Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, and also for pastors and their families, because as we know, um, my kids did not choose me to be a pastor. <laughs> this is kind of just given to them. And uh, the Lord brings us with our blessed wives and our children, and and we are able to do what we do because of the grace of God and the people he surrounds us with. So my call for the uh, to everyone listening this morning, pray for the Ketchumayer family as they continue and look to our Lord for healing. So, Pastor, on that note, can you begin our time in prayer and ask our Lord's blessings as we study the book of Hebrews? Yes, uh, let us pray. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we give thanks to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that you've given us the gift of this new day. O Lord, you give us the gift of life, you sustain us in our bodies, and you give to us the gift of eternal life, sustaining our souls. We pray, O Lord, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, open our ears to hear your voice clearly, and open our hearts that your Holy Spirit may do his work to continue to fortify our faith and to constantly give us that trust in Christ alone for our salvation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions or thoughts, um, comments on our program today as we look at Hebrews chapter 4, uh, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Uh, obviously, Pastor Ketchemeyer loves making connections of the Old Testament to the New Testament and ultimately to Christ. So give us a call, too, if you have a question, 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, one of the one, one I, what I've been trying to do with the Book of Hebrews, because it is so rich of a book, uh, so full of of theology and connections and everything, is I'm going to start by reading all of Chapter Four and then come back and ask for some of your introductory thoughts. Um, so we're going to start that way. Reminder to our listeners: we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Hebrews Chapter Four, and the author writes, "Therefore." While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. And again in the passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
Now, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, there's a lot here, and it is, the, the depths and the gems and the grace and everything that's here, it is so much. So, Pastor, how would you start us off as we uh, uh, look at chapter 4 to get us started off on the right foot? Well, what I would like us to do, of course, is start off in the Old Testament. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) The the right foot. But if you go back to Exodus, uh, you know, in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 31, uh, in particular at verse 13, this is where uh, where Yahweh is telling his people uh, the reason for establishing the Sabbath day of rest is that they would know that he is Yahweh who sanctifies. Uh, And so they're about to go into the Promised Land, at least that's the plan, right? They're at Mount Sinai, and he's trying to differentiate between the people of God with the Word of God, uh, with the promised presence of God for their benefit. And he's going to say that on that Sabbath day, you will rest from your work. So it's not your activities, it's not what you do to achieve righteousness before God or holiness before God, but instead it is a gift. Uh, the righteousness that we have before God is a passive righteousness that's received by faith. It's a gift. It's the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us. And so you have that in Exodus chapter 31 establishing that that Sabbath day is going to teach you that you will know that Yahweh is the one who sanctifies, so stop working, stop trying, you can't achieve righteousness. But the irony is right into the very next chapter of of Exodus, uh, into 32, that's where you have the golden calf. And so while Moses is up in the presence of God, and in the divine council, in the divine throne room, uh, God is giving him the word and instituting his established way of, of worship, the way and the means through which God would be present for their benefit. And he has the word. God speaks to Moses, and then Moses would speak to Aaron, and then Aaron would speak to the people. But once you get in Exodus chapter 32, this is where the people become impatient. They want to just get the show on the road, and they want to go. They want to go in their own way, and they want to go with their own word. So it's, it's, everything is turned upside down, where the people are now speaking to Aaron. They're giving the word to Aaron, and then Aaron determines in the desires of his own heart how he is going to make God's presence manifest before them. And so he says, well, this is where, how we are going to make God merciful. This is how we are going to uh, make God show favor to us. Give me your gold. And so they give the gold, and he makes the golden calf. Uh, this is a, a complete war of words, where God gives his word, where he gives his promise, and we are to rest in the promise of God's activity and then to receive these good gifts of God's holiness, that he's going to be present for us. He is merciful because that's who he is. He gives us a word of promise, and faith clings to that. But it's this reason, it's this limited logic we have that is corrupted by uh, this fall into sin, where we don't want to hear God's word. Uh, Reason is going to reject Jesus. Reason is going to resist the Holy Spirit. And reason refuses to be taught by God's word. So we see that war of, 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 with God's Word, the spiritual battle that's going on, even with God's own people at Mount Sinai. Uh, and that's even before they move towards the Promised Land. I mean, later on in, in Numbers chapter 13, that's where only Joshua and Caleb are the ones who 
received that word of promise and believed it to be true that God is with them. And in Numbers 13 and in 14, you have uh, the spies had gone into the, to, the, to the land, the promised land, and the spies, by reason and limited logic, say, we can't do it. We can't go and take this land. It's our efforts. Our efforts will be uh, null and void. We're not strong enough to do it. But it's, it's Caleb and Joshua who are trying to instill faith in the people and in the promises of God and his presence, and they say, God is with us. God is the one who goes before us. God's the one who will deliver these gifts. So that's that contrast again with the people of God becoming impatient, grumbling, uh, rejecting Jesus, uh, resisting the Holy Spirit, and refusing to be taught by God's Word, to be taught by God. And, and all of that is the pattern of even the people of God who've been entrusted with this Word while we wait in this fallen creation for the incarnation uh, of God to come and restore the whole creation. And so that's the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, we now have the things fulfilled. We have the body instead of the shadow of the things to come. So back in those days, but now it's our day. It's today where God speaks. It's today where we rejoice in the fulfillment uh, of Jesus, the Word of God incarnate, who takes upon flesh and blood and tabernacles amongst us, that he is with us in the midst of this life as we go through this sojourn, and we are waiting and anticipating that last day. I mean, even the, the whole book of Hebrews opens up with, you know, in, in the past God spoke to us by the prophets, but now in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, the one whom he's appointed the heir of all things, and the one through whom he created the world. Now again, when we talk about the creation of the world, this is God who is life, God who speaks life, and God who works for six days, and then he rests on the Sabbath. So you go back to that Sabbath day of rest, where we gather in God's promised presence to receive the gifts of life and righteousness and holiness through his word that is heard. And so as we look at this, um, we probably should dig into this because there's a lot of gems to, to bring out, but I really like how you brought us back right, to see the, the promises of God. Exodus 31 talks about the reason that we are able to rest because it's the Lord that sanctifies you. And the problem is we become impatient. So clearly this teacher, this preacher is he uh, to the Hebrews is speaking to very impatient people that need a reminder of how God, um, how God will provide for them. And he makes those connections all the time with the Israelites. He does this in chapter three by highlighting Psalm 95, and Dr. Kleinig in his commentary basically says chapter 4 is continuing the interpretation of Psalm 95. And so that's one of the, the interpretive keys that, that I have found, and I love how you're making those extra connections that are clearly there as well. Pastor, I want to dig in and, and start to hear more of these gems you have, and I want to start with the first five verses of Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with, the, with those who listened. For we have believed, that we, we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. 
and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in his passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Pastor, where do you want to begin with those verses? Well, what we want to do is we want to start here with the therefore. And just like you were saying with Dr. Kleinick, who is the finest uh, living theologian among us in this entire world, I would mm-hmm. say, uh, <laughs> that therefore it's connecting back to chapter 3. And so it's this continuous dialogue and this uh, divine uh, instruction about Psalm 95. And and even that, that Psalm 95, in our own circles, we use this in the order of Matins, so that when when we gather uh, amongst the people of God with the presence of God in His Word, uh, we then rejoice in Psalm 95. I mean, this is actually, we get this pattern from the synagogue, who had taken that at the opening of the synagogue, they would use Psalm 95, and then, of course, splice it together with the words from uh, Genesis chapter 2 about the day of rest. And so as God's people, we're we're gathering uh, around the words of the Psalms. It's the prayer of God's people, where we are in this divine uh, dialogue and conversation continually with God, where we hear His Word, and then we respond. And so that Psalm 95 is that, let us sing. You know, let us make a joyful noise. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make this joyful uh, noise to Him with songs of praise, this joyful sound uh, of singing. And so that's Psalm 95, and then, of course, the people who are responding to this, and the one who's leading the liturgy, if you will, uh, is saying, therefore, uh, let us fear. Let us fear. So it's bringing into this connection between hearing God's Word, as the people of old did in Psalm 95, as they're going to the temple, as they went to the synagogue, uh, as we do in the order of Matins, and then we join in together with all the people of God, and we say, let us fear. Now, that even that let us fear itself goes back to the words of Joshua and Caleb. I mean, back in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, where Joshua and Caleb are saying, do not fear the people of the land. Don't put your fear there. Don't fear the people who can hurt you in your body. Rather, fear the one who can hurt you in your soul, uh, the one who is the living God. So this is where we rightly put our, our fear in God. You know, we say our hope is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, and we gather before his presence, and he is to be feared. Uh, this is in this understanding of who he is, God who is holy and God who speaks his holiness upon us, that we would receive these gifts and we would, by faith, let God be God. I mean, this is what faith does. Faith believes God at his word, that God is merciful, that God is truthful, that God is faithful to his promises. But on the other hand, reason, this limited logic we had, is always trying to reject that word of God, refuse to be taught by God, and resist the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart. So it is a battle between the human nature uh, that is fallen and corrupted and wants to follow the logic uh, of this world, the way of this world, that wants to change God's Word by our minds instead of letting God's Word change our minds. But this is a, a, a call of the people of God, this let us together, let us 
hear the voice of God and rejoice in it. Let us not despise preaching in his word, but let, let us gladly hear and learn it. So that's how this whole thing is opening up, which is just tying straight from the previous chapter, which was always talking about uh, Psalm 95. But in that, you have that contrast about this, the gospel, the good news. It's the good news of salvation, the promise of the Messiah. And this is what marks the difference between all of humanity ever since the fall into sin. When uh, Adam and Eve had fallen into sin and then they had children, their children were then conceived and born in the image and likeness of God, who by nature are children of wrath, who are enemies of God, who do not want to hear God's word. But yet it is God who continues to come to us, the, the, the living word, uh, the essential word, the eternal word. Christ himself, the pre-incarnate one, comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. And he's the one that continues to come to us in the proclamation of his voice to seek and to save the lost. But ever since that point in time, you had a distinction between those who rejoice in the voice of God, the promises all fulfilled in the seed of the woman that's going to crush the head, versus those who reject that word of God, resist the Holy Spirit, and refuse to be taught by God. So that's the, this whole humanity that we live in now, the way of the world, and because we are in this world, we're going to be tempted to fall away, to go astray, not to go into God's presence, but uh, listen to a different voice, listen to a different word. And so it's faith that, of course, clings to it. So when we're talking about that faith here, uh, it says that they failed to reach it. Why did they fail to reach it? Because the message was heard didn't benefit them. Why didn't it benefit them? Because they didn't have the faith that, that, that listens to it. It's, and so when we're talking about this faith right now, we're talking about the faith that receives these gifts of God. Uh, we're not talking about the word that, that enacts faith, that is effective and gives faith, but here instead we're talking about the faith that is to receive this word of God, and it's, it's unbelief that refuses to hear this voice of God and wants a different way, uh, wants a, a new word and a new thing, always something new. And in chapter 3, at the very end, I like how you talk about faith that receives these gifts because he speaks about rest. And I want to touch on that um, here this morning, obviously, as well. In verse 19 in chapter 3, we, we see why they were not able to enter this rest, which is crazy to think about at first, because why would someone not want to rest? But they did, didn't enter that rest because of unbelief, basically the gift is there, but they don't want anything to do with it, which is a very helpful reality to see with this because we can kind of get lost in, in some of the lingo. But Pastor, I want to ask this. We have about four minutes before our break. Is It talks about rest. And if somebody, if you're going through Bible study with this, is say, I don't get it. Rest. I love naps. I like going to bed at night. I like to be able to relax by the side of the beach. Um, so what is rest? What is he talking about rest in the context of Hebrews? Yeah. And so, again, when we talk about rest itself, uh, you have a contrast between God who does the action, God who does the activity. God is the one who made the heavens and the earth. He creates in the six days. So it is God who is actively working. Uh, but on that seventh day, God rests. He stops working. And so therefore, when we are working for six days, according to the Old Testament and Mosaic Law, you are actively doing things in your vocation. That's that active, uh, achieved righteousness and how you love your neighbor. But then it's at that point of the, the rest, 
it's that that one day where you're going to stop your activity and know that your achieved righteousness here on earth as you love your neighbor does not merit eternal life or the forgiveness of sins before God. So you pause and you now hear and receive the Word of God, that you now rejoice in God's voice in what He is doing and what He continues to do. So that resting is is a rest in the soul. Uh, The conscience and the heart is restless in this life because we are aware that we are living in a a fallen world that's falling apart. Uh, The experiences that we have externally and internally kind of uh, get us in this restlessness uh, where we are concerned about tomorrow. Uh, we we uh, fear uh, death. Uh, we, we don't know what's going to happen. And so that's that restlessness. We're constantly jittery, and constantly we have this, uh, this understanding that we need to do something, that we need to take control, that we need to be active and change the things. But that rest is a passive reception of God's Word, recognizing and realizing that God is present with us, and God is present for us. And God comes to assure us that he is in control. He's got everything under control. And everything will work together for the good. That's the promise for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. So when we say, what's going on in our life? Why is there COVID in my house? Why is there COVID in my city? Why is there COVID in the land? Doesn't God care? Yes, God cares. He cares very much so. And so now just be still and know that I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh who heals. I am Yahweh who restores. I am Yahweh who sanctifies. I'm there, and I'm present for you uh, in the midst of all these things, and I'm the one who's guiding you and leading you from this life into the next life. And, of course, at the end of this whole verse, or chapter, I should say, we get to the point where you have the mediator, uh, which is Christ. And so where is Christ? He's not here, it doesn't seem. Oh, no, he is here. And even better, he is standing for you before the face of the Father. So he's the one who continues to be praying for you, to be praying with you, and continue to speak to you these words of promise in life. So with about a minute left before our break, he says it. he, he speaks so much in a pastoral sense, or he, he definitely cares for the souls of those who are receiving this letter, because when he talks about, let us fear those who have failed to reach this rest, um, the, the, to receive the benefits of this rest. And so do you have any thoughts on, on the author and how much he cares for these people that he's, he's speaking, he, he's speaking in such a way that I'm, I'm, I'm very much intrigued with the author and how much he cares for these individuals. We have a lot of men for our break. Any thoughts on that before we take our break? Well, again, this letter itself is out of pastoral care. I mean, the whole Reformation itself is founded upon pastoral care. That's what the whole doctrine of justification is all about, is that Mm. Christ has uh, died for our sins, our trespasses, and he was raised for our justification, that we would give all glory to Christ, it's rightly due his name, but then we would comfort the conscience that is is terrified, that is restless, uh, that is not uh, sure what's happening in life. Where is God? It doesn't seem like he's present. It doesn't seem like he cares. And so this is very pastoral, and so the whole understanding of this letter is as if it were a sermon. I mean, it's a sermon to be read in the divine service so that you can hear the author of the epistle preaching Christ to you in the midst of this world that's falling apart. So it's a very pastoral, just like the whole Reformation itself. 
I'd love to hear more about that on the other side of our break. We are studying Hebrews chapter 4 with Pastor Brian Ketchemeyer, and we'll be right back. It's not a sunny place for sunny people, nor is it a shady place for shady people. In a classic Lutheran Hour message, Dr. Oswald Hoffman says the life of St. Mary Magdalene illustrates how the grace of God makes the Christian church a sunny place for shady people, a place for people like you and me. Archives August continues this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. On this Thursday, August 12, 2021, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Sumner and Sylvia Hunnewell of Arnold, Missouri, as they give thanks for the blessing of friendship. Sumner and Sylvia made a gift to KFUO Radio in honor and in memory of their dear friend, Sarah Louise Johnson of Jacksonville, Illinois, who is in her heavenly home. Thank you, Sumner and Sylvia Hunnewell, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. An old man blind to his own bitterness. I will never forgive her. A young girl blind to her own identity. There are people who want to hurt me. Together, they find a treasure, the hidden hand. I will take the girl. Get rid of Capitola once and for all. Starring Katie Lee as Capitola. (laughs) Discover the hidden hand on the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. And welcome back. We are studying Hebrews chapter 4 with Pastor Brian Ketchemeyer. And Pastor, I was thinking as you were speaking and as we studied this text of Jesus' words, because clearly he is speaking about Christ, where he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I'm really loving this theme of, of rest. Um, and, and also, like you said, to give a clear conscience to people and also our own angst, angst, if you will, for those who are not entering that rest. As before we move forward from verse five, any of your, any other thoughts you have before we move on? Well, so the, the issue here again is that uh, faith receives this gift. Uh, the, the, Active righteousness is something that we do. That's our activity. It's achieved. But when we stand before God, this is a, a passive received righteousness. It is that gift that God gives to us in faith and trust us, that, that God is the one who does everything for us. He satisfies all the demands of the law perfectly. He, uh, he does not do the things that are forbidden, and he refrains from the, the uh, things, or he does not do the things that uh, are forbidden, he refrains from them, and he does the things that are required. Uh, that all that satisfaction is Jesus, so that we can be assured of his pleasure in us for the sake of the Son. And, and so faith itself 
is is trusting this promise that God is who he says he is. And the faith in this life, of course, even in the midst of the baptized, is uh, sometimes weak, and uh, faith is kind of diminishing and fading, but its faith comes through hearing this word of Christ, hearing the message about Jesus and who he is and what he does. And so God will take that imperfect faith that's in us as believers, and then he imputes it for perfect righteousness, all for the sake of Jesus. So the emphasis, of course, is always on Jesus, his activity of what he has done to achieve for us the merit uh, of eternal life, uh, meriting us a forgiveness of sins, and that he continues to be present with us, distributing these gifts now, assuring us and fortifying our faith. And so as we move forward, verses 6 through 8, there is a number of conclusions that, that we see from Psalm 95. And the first is, um, you fear those who did not make the rest. And I would argue these next number of verses is kind of a, today is a day of entry. I mean, the, the, the rest is right there before you. And so, and he also makes connections to the Old Testament once again. So I'll read verses 6 through 8. Since therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken on another day later on. So he speaks today language. Any of your thoughts on these verses? Well, if we could just hit that that word disobedience, just to be clear ah, about sure. that. The disobedience mm-hmm. is not that you sinned once, you sinned twice, you sinned a certain number of times, and now you disqualified yourself. I mean, that disobedience is in the same realm of unbelief. I mean, we see this previously in Hebrews chapter 3, where you have these two verses kind of in a Hebrew parallel way of saying, but to those who were disobedient, so that now we see those who didn't enter was because of unbelief. I mean, it's explaining what that is. And of course, the contrary of the the disobedience, the apitheo, is the pitheo, which is to trust, to be confident. I mean, we see this actually in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13. But Mm. so it's, it's receiving that word of God, continuing to listen and to learn. Uh, That's what the the people of God were supposed to do in the Old Testament times, but we see the wandering in the wilderness is because they refused to do it, and so that's why they didn't enter into the Promised Land at that time. But yet that word continued to come to them. The the word was always in the, the present, it's the word that is heard, and so that word is a today. And so when you hear the word of God, you are brought into his presence. I mean, this is where your conscience is connected to to God, that he now brings you before his presence. Now, if you only have the law, which exposes uh, your sins and your failures to do uh, God's will, well, then you're in trouble and you only have a judge. But the good news is that's the evangelical message of Jesus, who is not the judge. Jesus is the justifier. Jesus is the one who makes us righteous by giving us his own righteousness as a gift. He imputes it to us. And so he's the one that stands as our true high priest. And so when we gather into his presence, it's not like Jesus is absent, 
But Jesus is actively there with the people of God, and he's continuing to speak those words of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Uh, That's when we gather around the absolution, like in the divine service, or even in matins, or when we gather to uh, receive uh, the sacrament of the altar, and you hear the voice of Jesus, this is my body given for you, this is my blood shed for you, poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins, that that's, it's to fortify the faith, because faith comes through hearing that, that word of Jesus. So today is, is this play on, that was back in the former days, but Hebrews opens up talking about now in these latter days. So in the former days we had the shadow, in the latter days we have the body, we have the reality, which is Jesus himself, the one who was to come. And so you have in that, that in-between time of, of Exodus chapter 31 uh, to Psalm 95, where David writes this at the temple. So when you gather at uh, Jerusalem at the promised presence of God in the sacrificial system that he has instituted himself, that he's promised to be the shadow of the reality to come, that you see the blood of the, the calves and the bulls. Now the blood and the calves of bulls itself, it cannot clean the conscience, but it points to the reality of the body of Jesus who will come and he will take upon flesh and blood and he will atone for our sins in that sacrificial death on the cross, that that cleanses the conscience. And so when we gather as the people of God, it's the today when God is speaking right now. Later on in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about that when the people of God are assembled and they've been gathered by the Holy Spirit, called, gathered, enlightened, and sanctified by the gifts, that in chapter 12 of Hebrews, we've come to Mount Zion, not Mount uh, Sinai uh, or Horeb back in the Old Testament where there was uh, the, the fire and the lightning and we were afraid and we don't know if God is with us and if God is mad at us, but instead it's Mount Zion. And so we've gathered before his presence and God is the judge and not just God is judge, but Jesus who is the mediator of a New Testament with speaking blood. And so all of that voice today is today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where Jesus remains to be the high priest who mediates between you and God's wrath because of your sin. Now, on the last day, as we confess in the creed, Jesus will come again to judge in the living and the dead. But that's the final day. That's the end of time where we look to that final judgment where he separates the sheep from the goats, the sheep who hear the voice of the shepherd. They know his name. He knows their name. And then in this intermittent, uh, this immediate time right now that we have, we know that Jesus is mediator. So when we come before his presence now, we're not coming before the judge to be judged and condemned. We're coming before his presence so that the skillful surgeon can do surgery on our hearts, that he can fortify faith, that he can train our conscience to set our eyes upon Jesus as the one who died for our sins, and the one who continues to pour out his blood for us now, so we can be assured that we are sanctified by his blood, uh, that we are made his holy people, and his body is a true food that gives life. And so we have the life now today. He remains our high priest because we continue to need him, because in this life, sin continues to cling to us. It should not reign over us. It will remain in us, but we continue to need a high priest who continues to extend forgiveness to us and assure us that we have pleasure for his sake before the Father. 
I want to do this. I want to read 9 through 13, and I want you to expand a little bit because the language of today is so important for us, for Christians today, as it was here. I mean, it's clear, as you said so well, that that this he is speaking to bring a clear conscience to the people he's speaking to, and that comes to us in a worship service, into the divine service, and why it's important that today— we receive this by which the rest is spoken of in our verses today. But I want to keep moving forward so we get, especially, to get to those last few verses. But right now I'll read verses 9 all the way to 13. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. For no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, Pastor, basically, one of the questions I have, and I want you to run with what you found in these verses is just this understanding of striving to enter that rest. And then he speaks of the word of God and how that relates to the todayness of the worship divine service that we will enter in our world today. So um, however you want to put that together or how, where, where you want to lead us, please go ahead. Yeah, so this, again, it's you have uh, one who is preaching to us, uh, leading this liturgical life of the community of God. And remember, the Church is not a, an individual sport. Uh, it's not like we're out there competing on our own and trying to get our own uh, medals or points or whatever it may be. But we are on this, uh, this journey together, this journey as the people of God. So you have the one who's preaching, the one who's lead, leading this liturgical life, and he says, therefore let us strive. And so he's including himself in this, that we are the body of Christ here on earth, that we are here present in this fallen creation, and we are to care for one another, fellow members of the body, that none of us would be left uh, 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 to go astray, that none of us would fall by the way, that we would be concerned about one another, that we would encourage one another to gather into this, this rest, rest only as the Word of God can give. But in this life, again, I, I can't uh, say it enough, this distinction between this faith and reason. Uh, the faith trusts this, that this is a promise rest that Christ gives. And so this idea here that no one may fall away, uh, that we are to uh, stop our own works, rest from our own works, that, that the ideas of your own works, the works of law, this is the reason and the logic that's limited by uh, sin that says that if I want to be right in God's sight, I need to do this, that, and the other. And then you try to do more, and you try to say, well, it still isn't enough, so I'll try to invent new ways to make God merciful. Well, that's always idolatry. When you can't make God merciful. God is merciful. So any kind of form of worship without God's Word is idolatry. And that's the 
temptation of the world constantly. That was the temptation of the people of God as they were wandering in the wilderness. And even as they got into the promised land, they started looking to their contemporaries saying, well, how do you worship God? How do you make his presence available? I mean, that's what the people of God wanted with Aaron and the golden calf. Make his presence available to us so that we know he's with us. Do something so that we know that he's pleased with us. Well, without God's word of promise, it's fulfilled in Jesus. You can never know for certain if you've done enough, because you can't do enough. You can't satisfy the demands of the law. The law cannot remove sin. The law can only show sin, give the knowledge of it, and expose it. And so here, that, that reason always wants to be active and wants to take control and wants to do something, but it's faith that's receptive and listens and learns and learns to believe always in the state uh, of progressing in our belief of, of continuing to grow as the people of God. So this striving, this, uh, this kind of moving forward, I mean, this is the, the whole idea that we're not just going to be uh, static, and we're just going to say, ho-hum, everything's fine. Instead, we're going to, as the people of God together, strive forward, uh, work towards this goal, desire this for all of us, that we, we have this rest that can only be found in Jesus. And then, of course, in verse 12, this is where you get the contrast between this understanding of faith and logic. Uh, this reason or logic is from this Greek word logos. I mean, that's the reason. So in the ancient Greek philosophers, the way that a person becomes righteous and satisfying in his life is by practicing righteousness, by doing these things. But in the way of Christian righteousness, it is a passive received righteousness where we cease from our works, and the human logic that's limited cannot make us righteous by trying to determine what we think is good and right in God's sight, wise in our own eyes. Instead, there is the eternal logos, the one who is the logic of God himself. As John says at the beginning of his gospel, this logos became flesh and tabernacled amongst us, that he is here for us, he is here with us. So he's the one who is living He's the eternal Logos, the eternal Word of God. And then he speaks that living and active Word. So, I mean, you've got a, a play on this where you have Jesus, who is the essential Word of God, the eternal Word of God, but then Jesus, of course, speaks the Word of God. He speaks, and when he speaks, he does what he says. So here, when we, we learn about the, the two-edged sword piercing, I mean, this is like a, a surgeon, so that when we gather into God's presence and Jesus is going to speak, this is where Jesus is going to give his Word, and his Word is spirit and life. And he gives the Holy Spirit, who then works within the heart. The Holy Spirit is the one who's training the conscience to have this comfort that can only be found in Jesus who satisfies all the demands of the law. So this is not in the sense that he's come with the sword to destroy us, <laughs> just yeah. annihilate us, and that's why the author of the letter to the Hebrews, ultimately being the Holy Spirit, of course, is assuring us by setting before our eyes this skillful surgeon as the great high priest. So it's not just you and God without the person and work of Jesus, it's you before God with the person and work of Jesus who stands in your stead, who stands next to you, who stands with you, and who stands for you. I like the way you've been talking about the surgeon. And I, I want to ask for a little bit, because I really want to get to the high priest, but 
So how would you describe that to somebody? Like, Pastor, you're talking about a surgeon. So are you saying that when I go to church and I'm hearing the Word of God, law, gospel, that it's kind of like Jesus is being a surgeon to me, bringing, cutting me to the heart, but then also healing? Is that how you would describe that to somebody? Yeah, you know, when we when we look at the vocation just in the earthly realm of a surgeon, all right, so now if, if just in the earthly realm, without the context, you see a guy walking around with a white robe and a white mask on, and he's got a scalpel in his hand, and he's got blood stained all over his, uh, his apron, I mean, you're going to freak out and say, hey, this guy is, is here to do harm. I mean, this guy is mm-hmm. uh, killing people, and you can see it. Well, but in the context of what a surgeon does is you know that the surgeon in that vocation is there for the benefit of the individual who's the patient. So the patient is brought before his presence, and then the surgeon is going to work. And yes, he's going to cut with a sword. And yes, that hurts. I mean, that's why when you go into surgery, they, they put you under so you're sleeping and you don't feel it. Cause right. it it's going to hurt, right? But I mean, the surgeon is going to do something that is very harmful to you, but yet, although it's harmful to you, it is for your benefit. I mean, I mean, so when God is, is working in our heart, he's exposing the sin. He's constantly showing us where there is disobedience, that is unbelief, that is doubt, that is all these, these wicked ways of the world, the, the darkness of the heart, and he's going to expose these things, but not to just leave us cut open and say, see, now you're cut open and now you're left to bleed out. Instead, he's doing this to remove this. The, the law does not remove sin. Only Jesus justifies. So it's the good news of Jesus. It's his word, his voice of life and forgiveness and pardon and peace that he's now instilling in the heart. So, I mean, this is that, that kind of the work of, of a surgeon in the heart. Now, in the Old Testament, of course, when we talked about the heart, we don't have a word for conscience in the Old Testament. Uh, instead, you just have the, this word lave to, to means heart, not a hallmark heart, which is about uh, touchy-feely emotions and things like that. But it, it's kind of the, the essence of who you are are, how you perceive things, how you see things, how you know things. And either you know things according to your own sinful nature and the fallen creation and the lies of the devil, or your heart knows things because God himself has reset your heart with his word. That God's word of truth puts truth in your heart, and Jesus, of course, is the truth. Uh, Truth isn't just a concept or an idea. Truth is a reality. It's a person. It's Jesus himself who comes and he is giving us this faith in the heart. He comes to dwell in the heart. So this language of heart is the conscience. This language that the conscience is being trained before God to set eyes upon Jesus. Now, the conscience can measure your own uh, works and know that you've fallen short of the demands of God's Word. So left with just the law in your conscience, uh, you've got a problem. But Jesus, a surgeon, comes to, to heal the heart, to heal the conscience, and to assure that he satisfied all the demands of the law, and he continues to stand as your high priest. So it's not just that he died for your transgressions, he also was raised from the dead for your justification and continues to be your high priest, continues to work on your heart until that last day in this liturgical life and this journey towards uh, the resurrection of the body. Let's continue to hear the rest of these verses, and we'll have about five minutes left for us to wrap this up, which is probably not near the amount of time we need for these last verses, but they're powerful just when you hear them. So 14 till the end. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who is every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Pastor, it talks to us, and it talks continuously throughout the book of Hebrews, is Jesus being the high priest. What does it tell us about Jesus being our high priest here? Well, here itself, it's not just the understanding that God is high priest. So throughout the Old Testament, the the image and the institution of God that you place a man into this office of high priest, that man now stands as a mediator between God and humanity. So humanity sins, which of course brings God's wrath, but God institutes an office in which a man is high priest who stands to mediate, so that he stands before God to plead uh, for mercy on behalf of the people, to bear the sins of the people upon his own shoulder, to be in the presence of God, and then he is to then go and be the the presence of God through his word to the people. So the people speak through the high priest to God, and then God speaks through the high priest back to the people to assure them of the pardon and the forgiveness of sins. I mean, so that whole mediation in the Old Testament was a picture of, of the body. So it was a shadow of things to come. Jesus is the incarnate one. He is the one who has come. And so he is a greater high priest. And so everything we have in the Old Testament is a shadow, uh, which you have like uh, with the temple itself. We have one who is greater than the temple, Jesus, uh, in his body and blood. And you have the one who is greater than Aaron and any of his sons as high priest. You have the one who is the true high priest who now stands. And so the assurance that we have is not only is this the true high priest that it's, it's God in his divine essence, his divine nature, but also in the union, the personal union of the divine and the human natures in the one Christ, you have Christ who is the true man who now stands before us, the one who came to restore humanity, to restore creation. And so he is true flesh and blood. Uh, He is the one who has suffered in this life. He has suffered with us and for us, so he can sympathize with us. He knows our weakness, so he's been tempted through this, but yet he remains without sin. He has that victory over sin. So we have one who knew no sin, but yet he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so this emphasis on the humanity of Christ is now we see the true man, the new man, the real man, who stands before the Father, who has gone before us, so that we can stand before the Father today and into eternity, being in that eternal presence of God with that beatific vision uh, in the resurrection of the body. So, Pastor, as we hear, it talks about, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. I love that word confidence in this context. As the confessions point out, what does this mean for us today? We have about three minutes left in our time. Yeah, so 
this confidence is that we have confidence in the conscience. I mean, later on in Hebrews chapter 9, the author, of course, ultimately being the Holy Spirit, is training our conscience. And so that's why in Hebrews chapter uh, 10 later on, he says that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And and so that's the the curtain, of course, being his flesh. As Paul will say in Romans chapter 5, that uh, now therefore being justified by faith, we now have peace with God. That's peace in the conscience. So you have this confidence here that we've been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So we've been baptized, we've been named, we've been claimed by God, we belong to Him. We have been united into His death and united into His resurrection. We have died to sin and we have rised to newness of life. So that confidence is always going back to the word of promise. And faith allows God to be God. Faith believes and trusts what God says, that he is truthful, that he is merciful, that he is faithful to his promises, and all of them are fulfilled in his Son. So that's that confidence, trusting what God has said, in contrast to what we experience in this life. Uh, The experience of the COVID, the coronavirus, and you see death, you see uh, people who are suffering all around, and you say, well, where's God in the midst of suffering? Well, God is in the midst of his suffering. He suffered for us. He suffered with us. He continues to be with us in the midst of our suffering, so that with this confidence we can actually rejoice in suffering. And and that's what uh, Paul then says uh, later on in Romans chapter 5, again, having that peace and the conscience Mm. justified with uh, faith. We have access to the Father through the Son, and the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us to give us this joy in the midst of suffering. So that's that confidence, that boldness, knowing that we stand with favor before the throne of grace. So it's not a throne of judgment, but just like in the Old Testament with the Ark of the Covenant, that was the mercy seat. Jesus is the mercy seat, the throne of grace. Pastor, we are out of time. So, but I tell you what, I am rejoicing and I feel like holding fast and confidence in Christ. So Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer, Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico, giving us God's strong word, connecting all the dots from Hebrews chapter four. Pastor Ketchelmeyer, thank you again for being our guest. Oh, it was great to be here. Saints of our Lord, hold fast in this confession. God is the actor, and in him we can find rest. In him, he is one who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And as Pastor said so well, let us draw near to him with confidence, because our merits are on account of Christ and Christ alone. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.